0: Today on Off-Tackle Empire, oh no! We suck again! I could be speaking for absolutely anybody. I mean, very few people I don't speak for in the Big Ten. The Kraszewski Fantasy Football Play claims the go-for-run game. Wilt's Kenneth Walker and Graham Mertz throws his various personalized branded hats into the extremely crowded ring for worst quarterback in the Big Ten. Today on Off-Tackle Empire. Your source for Big Ten Talk, it's Off-Tackle Empire! Welcome back to Off-Tackle Empire, where we cannot get enough... Of our Midwestern bona fides and flexing them to you, as we are the uh, standard bearer for Big Ten podcasts, and let's show you how Midwestern we are. It's seven thirty, and the sun is setting, and it's already getting kind of sad up in just, here. Just
1: wrapping up in the nice, cozy seasonal affective disorder. Gonna. You know, all the color I picked up over the summer bleed out of my body by like Halloween it'll be gone very quickly
0: yep which means that from then on it won't be long until I'm very grateful that I work from home half the time because I don't have to deal with that thing where I uh, get to work before sunrise and then uh, get back home after sunset and so then uh, you know my 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 poor dogs never see the sun anymore b1g
1: b1g B-1-Z. This is how
0: we choose to live our lives here. This is the this is the lifestyle that we've chosen to adapt for ourselves. Once again, I'm Steve Bronikasaurus, and I'm here with Andrew Krzyzewski, and we're gonna talk about a, a week where kinda very few in the Big Ten acquitted themselves particularly well, and generally even those that did, uh, weren't without their you know, their own foibles.
1: Oh yeah, there were a couple blowouts where it's hard to be dissatisfied, but for the most part If you avoided the hideous loss, you nonetheless came out on the other end thinking, oh boy, how did we manage to hang on to that one?
0: With with an exception, the one where I can't think of that anything particularly bad happened to anybody was Penn State 38, Villanova 17.
1: Well, they failed to cover, and so we know that Penn State is not great because good teams win,
0: great teams cover. I I really (laughs) love when you're watching a broadcast and... They're talking about betting, but they're using all this language to to obfuscate the fact that they're talking about betting. I was watching... Musburger was a legend at that. He absolutely was, and and many people have followed in his footsteps. I, I, I was watching Appalachian State versus Marshall. I actually had Appalachian State to cover, and they kind of... It was one of those games where they had a lot more yards, but they couldn't stop turning it over, and, sure. and they had the ball with a one-point lead, and uh, Marshall let up a 40-yard run, but they they got a tackle inbound. So at this point, Marshall's only chance is if App State scores a touchdown and then opts to kick the extra point so that they got an eight-point lead. Right? Remember the Indiana-Penn State situation? And so then at the timeout, uh, you know, somebody in the booth reads the lips of the Marshall coaches saying, that's the only way we get the ball back. And so they said, some people... You know, many people, I believe, might be, uh, might really encourage App State to take the free touchdown here. Uh, (laughs) Many other people might really not want for this to happen. Uh, You know, so you've got all these angles here because, you know, what does, what does App State need to do to win? What other things happen if they score the touchdown? (laughs) It's like, we we all know what you're talking about,
1: (laughs) Well, it's, it's legal now in a lot of states. There's the federal restrictions against it have basically been tossed aside. There's no need to be coy about it anymore. We understand you probably got a little sauce on the game if you're spending this much time around college football. It's not the end of the world. You could just go out and say, hey, you know, look, here's the line, here's what happens. You know, here, you know, honestly, what I would like to see in all situations. I don't. I'm surprised that more of these broadcast stations don't partner up with these major books, and then in those situations, have the guy on the booth be like, "According to the, you know, sleazebag.com betting line on this." According to Off Tackle Empire Sportsbook, 68% of bets on this are really going to want are really going to want App State to score a touchdown here, but. The shark, the shark money is going to be on Marshall cover, so yeah, it's like that's that's the kind of angle that I can't believe that nobody's thought of this. Yeah,
0: so, that's true. ESPN, anything, won't,
1: ESPN won't do it because they're Disney affiliated.
0: That would probably be a little more subtle than most of the sports book marketing that I've heard of. Uh, although, you know, Adam Schefter is now a major investor in a sports book. He continues to be a journalist. This is really interesting to me, because I don't know what journalist means anymore.
1: Not just a journalist, but an extremely connected journalist.
0: All he is is a fantasy football waiver wire. That's all he is now. Uh, Anyway, that should show you about how much there is in Penn State, 38, Villanova,
1: 17. Yeah, well, there was one statistical note that I was seeing connected to this game. I believe Sean Clifford was either the first or second, I think the first Penn State quarterback to ever throw for 404 touchdowns in a game.
0: Yeah, that's what I was going to bring up. That is interesting.
1: Yeah, I was like, you know it's crazy to me that's never happened. But then I was thinking about most of the Paterno era. You're not exactly correlating that with offenses that play more than two receivers at a
0: time. Name some notable Penn State quarterbacks. Trace McSorley. I mean, (laughs) how about how about older ones? Right. I think of Kerry Collins Darryl, handing the ball. I like Daryl
1: Clark, uh, but he only played for like two years. He didn't start to lose an upperclassman.
0: Of course, there's you know you go back for archival footage of the legendary Todd Blackledge handing the ball off a lot.
1: Yeah, and throwing twelve passes a game. So I guess maybe it's not that
0: unusual. Basically, but if Christian Hackenberg didn't do it and Trace McSorley didn't do it, then it probably wasn't done. Yeah, yeah. It's passing just, it's wise,
1: straight, You know, you tend to think that. Most power programs like this, even if they had a long history of being offensively stodgy, would by now have picked up a couple, like picked up some kind of guy who threw for five thousand yards over a couple seasons or something like that. But and this um, is a
0: situation where I'm not willing to actually look this up in real time, but maybe some enterprising young mind out there, uh, complaining about the balance of our coverage here, could note whether or not Michigan has ever done this because. If you were to tell me that a, that a Big Ten school had not yet have somebody throw for 400 yards and four touchdowns in a game, I'd say, it's Michigan.
1: It's possible. Well, there's probably several teams who have never done it, but I'm just trying to think, like, is that something that but, Denard Robinson accidentally could have done in one of those blowouts? Mm-hmm. He would have run it more, so yeah. probably not.
0: I mean, and the thing is, Illinois has a lot of passing records and stuff from that, you know, in... Like Illinois has done a lot of those things because they were playing from behind a lot when they had a good passing offense in the '80s. That's exactly the opposite of what <laughs> Michigan was doing, where they would just, you know, get a two. Throughout scores, their whole history, ten, that's what it was:
1: yeah, get a ten-point lead and then sit on the ball. Yeah, so. that's, that's
0: how they won games. So, so that more than anything is why I, I honestly think that I, I would be I would be surprised if. It had happened for Michigan. Yeah. So, so I wouldn't be that surprised. There's not a
1: whole lot to see here. There was a little commentary. Even James Franklin said, "Base, if I remember right, that they do still want to figure out how to get their run game on track a little bit. They have, despite having Noah Kane and Lee and Holmes, the steep, stable backs, they haven't really done that well running the ball with their running backs. But again, like given what you're seeing from most of the other contenders, although. Andrew, are you
0: are you picking nits? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. We'll be here all broadcast, folks. <laughs> but seriously, when you look at the, the fact that Penn State has uh, two—well, you know, one fairly impressive win, one that seemed pretty impressive—and um, a lot of the conference's resume is kind of thin, and you know, the other best resume in the conference is is Iowa, and uh, they decided to put a little bit of a gap in their resume this week. They're yeah, just we, one of those gaps that you'd have to explain to a pr- prospective employer. Can you explain why you trailed to Colorado State? At
1: halftime. At yeah. halftime?
0: Uh, <laughs> um, you know, it's taking a gap year, <laughs>
1: Right. You know, you know, once in a while you just feel like you got to explore, uh, do things for yourself, continue to run Tyler Goodson for two yards of carry, even though they're keying in on the run and not let your quarterback do anything, because God knows that's the... Path of disaster, am I
0: right? <laughs> yeah, I guess we we might as well bounce to that one, right? And bounce around here. Sure. Um, right. Because there's just not that much to say about that one. No, it's, there's not. Iowa being Iowa. Uh, it, it turns out that uh, it's not just a stylistic choice for their offense to be the way that it is. It's that's, just all they can do. Yeah, that's just what it is. And you can still be a pretty good team like that. Can you be the number five team in the country? Who knows? But then again, you look at the number four team in the country, you look at... An a lot of the top teams in the country, it's hard to know who they are anymore.
1: Yeah, and of course you, you see here that when their defense isn't putting points on the board for them, that things do tend to look a little more sluggish, and you know, you've got, when the game is still in hand and you put the ball in Petras' hand, he throws an interception and late in the first half, it leads directly to a touchdown against Colorado State, their only lead. This is against again against an opponent that is not going to move the ball and score on your defense and your quarterback makes that mistake puts you in a hole at halftime.
0: The stats were hilariously even here. You had 12 first downs for each team. But in the case of Colorado State, 11 of those were third down conversions. 11 of their 12 first downs were third down conversions. That's pretty incredible. It and is
1: it's it's it is consistent with the Adasio mindset though, which is
0: time to dive. Let's just take it a little
1: bit at a time here. Not that just six more mark, inches. First down marker's not going anywhere. We're just gonna get there in three downs, maybe four,
0: and then more pass move around. <laughs> uh, two seventy-eight to two fifty worth the yards. Uh, well, let's put it this way: Colorado State ran for nearly twice the yardage as Iowa.
1: One thing that could be a positive sign and maybe a hopeful indication that there's some unexplored upside here was the I don't know if it was his first game action but certainly the first time you noticed Keegan Johnson a freshman wide receiver who they have pretty good reason to be optimistic about he caught a long touchdown from Petrus and that's an element that's been lacking here I, again when we were get when we were getting into this into the late preview seat section of the off season, I remember remarking, that, you know, I hear a lot of people saying this Iowa offense should be just as good if not better, and I'm like, well, wait, your two best receivers are gone. Uh, why would you be better? And I didn't really find a good answer for that. And I'm not saying that Keegan Johnson necessarily changes that, but relying on this passing game solely through Laporta and Tyrone Tracy hasn't resulted in a dynamic offense yet, so maybe Johnson is the missing piece there.
0: And I'm sure that, again, Iowa fans will think that our criticism is unfair, and, you know, they're not really mad about anything that, that happened. They just think it's funny that, you know, that things went this way. But they can deny it all they want. Kirk Ferentz is furious that he lost the one metric that matters to him more than the score, and that's time of possession. Yeah. So you wonder if uh, if that's got anything to do with some outlet that I saw, you know, pitching him as a possible candidate for the USC job. I don't know.
1: I don't think it was. It was a it was a very very misleading graphic I think from Fox Sports. Oh. They were having him on for an interview or something <laughs> and in that same show they were also talking about the USC vacancy so yeah. The text on the left is like USC vacancy rumors or whatever, and then on the right it's just Kirk, a picture of Kirk Ferentz. So, <laughs> okay, and okay, so it okay. Was, yeah, it, it was. Okay, a, so that
0: was that was a it
1: was a bad faith graphic work by Fox Sports. But yeah, was, I'll tell you yeah. what,
0: I'll feel like an absolute <laughs> fool if it turns out the place that I saw that was the No Context College Football account, it which might. by the way, fantastic <laughs> account. Follow it immediately. A must follow if you're on Twitter.
1: Um, I honestly access to that kind of thing is. The reason that once in a while I'm still like maybe I'm gonna get on the the old tweeter machine and uh, you know end up hating most of humanity. By but the Ferentz
0: end the to stat. USC is one of those great things that would piss off both Iowa fans and USC fans. USC fans would rightfully be much more
1: angry than Iowa fans. If there's anybody who can go to USC and not recruit at the top ten level, it's <laughs> Kirk Ferentz. He would go oh, yeah. there and he'd be taking like. Three stars from Modesto and shit. While all the all the top fifty prospects in LA just ignore him and won't give him the time of day, and then he'd still be better than any coach they've had since Pete Carroll.
0: And nevertheless, super silly of Iowa to trail at halftime, but they're four zero. And at the end of the day, in this year's Big Ten, it seems in that this
1: year's Big Ten West, especially yeah,
0: in this year's Big Ten, especially in the West. You, you that'll get you very 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 far. It'll get you a lot farther than Minnesota got. Bowling Green fourteen, Minnesota ten. Holy shit! On homecoming, no less. On homecoming. Well, yeah, because unlike you know my school that keeps scheduling Wisconsin, Minnesota understands that you want to you want to schedule a say, sure,
1: schedule a sure thing win. Yes, yeah, say say one
0: of the worst teams in the MAC that uh, you know. SP Plus had as the 119th best team in the country with the 128th ranked offense in the country. The final Vegas line for this game was Minnesota giving
1: 30 and a half. And granted, that's at home, but still.
0: Yes, I in fact heard somebody on the broadcast say that it was, it was tied for the biggest upset involving a Big Ten team since 2012. They didn't say what it was tied with. But anyway... Uh, Bowling Green had fewer than 200 total yards in this game.
1: They only only ran 61 plays. I mean, that's not a tiny amount, but it's still like, how does this kind of thing happen? Well, for one thing, one of Bowling Green's touchdowns was gifted to them when P.J. Fleck went for it on fourth and short from his own 29 and didn't get it because
0: they ran a predictable, slow-developing run play. You can do this kind of shit against an opponent of this caliber when and only when you've got a lead of a couple scores,
1: yeah. And if it's, if I get,
0: I get that you want to communicate your big dick energy to everybody. I get, I get, I also get that he's not talking to me when he does that. That I'm not the audience. He, for it's his, not,
1: it's not for us. Yes, exactly. Him, I'm him not the target
0: audience for whatever he's trying to prove by going for it there. But still, I gotta feel like even though I kind of understand. That you want to say, like, look, man, we can't be stopped by an opponent of this caliber and completely demoralize them. Turns out maybe, maybe wait lead. till you have a lead.
1: Yeah, wait until you've actually proven a little bit on the field that you can't be stopped by an opponent of this caliber. So how does this happen from a bigger picture? Because, again, that's one very bad coaching decision that is going to get a lot of attention and should. But to me, this is really all about the impotence of the Minnesota passing game, both an execution and an opportunity. Box scores aren't always everything, but I do think they can give you some useful information in some cases, and this is an example. Tanner Morgan completed his first two passes, and then his overall numbers ended up being five for 13 for 59 yards, two interceptions, zero touchdowns. And That, that second,
0: is putrid.
1: And that second pick was a god-awful pitch and catch straight to a defender with the game on the line when they were trailing. They needed points, and he threw a terrible pick. He also lost a fumble. The evidence is pretty quickly mounting here that Tanner Morgan was very much propped up as an underclassman by two generational wide receivers who happened to be on the team at the same time, and Tawa Johnson and Rashad Bateman. Without them, he is not the same guy. And Minnesota's scheme looks like Jerry Kill's scheme, where yeah, they're did pretty Chris good. Did Chris Hoffman Bell play? He played for a while. He did leave with an injury again, so that's that's a problem. Don't but get me I wrong. don't know.
0: I mean, do they win this game with a healthy Chris Hoffman Bell? Maybe because who he's probably knows, their best because, playmaker, who but, knows, but you should still that should not be the difference. He should not be worth thirty and a half points
1: and on thirteen pass attempts. What does Chris Otman Bell get if he's in this game? Three targets. Maybe he gets a long catch on one of those, and that gets you a score that is the difference here. But no, you you at this point in flex tenure, you shouldn't only have one functional wide receiver. Like I said, it's not that they don't have anybody else. On the roster I like what they have in Wright and Jackson but they don't use those guys so I yeah
0: so basically what I and I didn't watch that much of this game but it kind of seemed to me like PJ Fleck didn't you know maybe he just put it in his head that like look this game it doesn't even matter what the score is right now we just need to go out and prove what we can run it's about us it's not about them it's about us and he actually took that to heart so much that he didn't even look at the score until very late in the game, because he was certainly acting as though they had an insurmountable lead.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know what exactly goes
0: through your mindset here, but I will say this: this I mean, I can't. I, I I hate to generalize it down to the head coach because that's that's also an offensive coordinator thing. That's a play calling thing. Yeah,
1: but again, the offensive coordinator is picked by that coach. Yeah, and this is now year two of Mike Sanford. Last year. Was not great, but again, you understand that Bateman being out and then in for a bit and then out again. You had a ton of opt-outs on the offensive line. Um, it was basically just the Mo Ibrahim show, and so what really do you need to show with your passing game? But with Ibrahim gone, Potts is fine, but he's not Mo Ibrahim. They now, need Mike more, Sanford yeah.
0: Jr., correct? If I'm not mistaken, he's the guy that, when you look at Western Kentucky's points per game over the last like decade and a half... Uh, you know, you're looking in the 30s, and then suddenly it's like, oh, like 12 for a couple of seasons, and and, and now they're back to scoring a lot of points, and that was when he was the head coach? I, it might be.
1: All, I, all that I ever remember about him <laughs> is that he was a coordinator at Notre Dame for a couple of years, and they were actually pretty good, and I assumed when he came here, you were going to see Minnesota actually use their tight ends in the passing game and have this good balance. And none of that has come to pass yet, which is odd because with Brevin Spanford, I do think they have the personnel to use their tight end. They have a good enough group of receivers to spread it out like Notre Dame does
0: sometimes. Anyway, this and, is by, and they have the
1: offensive line. They certainly have the offensive line to be a better offense than this. Anyway, this
0: is by miles the worst thing that B.J. Fleck has done in Minnesota. Like, not even there's, no, there's nothing else in this conversation as far as worst losses is concerned.
1: No, and this is now a moment where you go... I wonder now if this... Pushes you across the Rubicon a little bit from guy who was still very promising and had the support of almost all of the fan base to this loss takes you a a large step in the direction of being another Minnesota coach who did not pan out with a goofy personality. This is a big first step in that direction,
0: it's, and it's a first step, and we don't know but exactly what direction it is, but it's a, it's a yeah. big one. Sorry. But, this is still got to make up for this one. Then. Yeah,
1: this is still the same head coach that engineered that big win over Penn State a couple years ago that beat Auburn in a bowl game. This is not one eleven
0: games in a season at Minnesota. Yeah. I mean, that's not not, not the, the easiest
1: thing to do. It's not the end of PJ Flex tenure by any means. Uh, this is not an isolated incident, though. There's there's some things here that have been building for a while. This one dimensional offense, the defense actually acquitted itself very well, given how often they
0: were insisted upon by the offense, so... I mean, the defense has been fairly good for Minnesota this year. I mean, there's only so much you can do against the talent level that Ohio State's, uh, you know, that Ohio State shows see, on offense well, when you don't have the talent that Oregon has in a secondary.
1: Granted. However, like, no matter the athletic deficit, I still think you shouldn't lose Chris Olave. but I guess that's,
0: you know, easy for me to say, I guess. The point is... Uh, Going to have a little bit of work to do to uh, ensure that this is not indicative of the future direction and, in fact, is a blip on the radar. And there's, you know, there's no reason that he can't do that. It's just uh, we've got, when you consider somebody's tenure as just the the trend line made from some data points, well, now we've got a data point that's way farther away from the rest of them, and that's going to alter the trend line a bit.
1: Sure. And we'll... Save this for the preview, but I really do think Purdue gives them a pretty good opportunity for a bounce back for reasons. Again, you're going to have to tune in for the preview episode if you want to get that rationale.
0: So we could get to Purdue, but we could also breeze through Northwestern 35, Ohio 6.
1: Yeah, not much to see here either. Um, Some intrigue with the quarterback situation. Apparently Andrew Marty was too badly hurt to play, and so... Pat Fitzgerald turning over this high-flying offense mm. to—I'm just kidding. They had Ryan Holinski complete like 12 passes for 90 yards. So they leaned on Evan Hull. He broke off a 90-yard touchdown. They coasted from there. Ohio, the the current Rourke they have starting is not Nathan Rourke, and it has gone consi- yeah. it's gone considerably more poorly for the Bobcats. This this ain't Frank Solich's Bobcats um, showing up when you play them. Of course, you know
0: home losers to Duquesne a couple yeah. of weeks ago. Yep. So this was this was kind of the result I expected. Um, I they they weren't they they weren't as good as the bad Akron team that Northwestern lost to a few years ago. They weren't anywhere near as good as those as those guys. Uh, I thought it was interesting that uh, the cameras on was that on BTN? Uh, I certainly don't know. Well, oh, Riverholz. I think yeah. it was because I know they what you're about to. Decided say. Decided to yes, after Evan yes. Holes' 90 uh, yard touchdown, decided uh. to to have a gratuitous shot of him throwing up <laughs> to a trash can on the sideline. Which, <laughs> hey, great presence of mind to get to the trash can.
1: That's, oh yeah, for sure. Because it's you know, if you get that on the field turf, man, like that stuff doesn't come out. And then it's you're, well, you're, then you're yeah, yeah then somebody
0: runs through that and. You have a situation where a lot of people are chasing a return man, and he kicks up and he starts kicking up little flecks of puke into everybody's and you eyes. Think
1: it, and the guys think it's just the turf pellets, and so they're not really, they don't really know us at first. And then they're like, wait, what? Oh, no! Oh, it's puke! Uh, I have to imagine that happens pretty frequently, and that's just one of the things that's glossed over on the broadcast for us folks at home.
0: Anyway, that's what it's like to watch Northwestern football. Ohio is very bad, and Northwestern is not quite that bad.
1: Yeah, and so... They were able to control this game. Really the interesting thing, though, I guess, is that Marty couldn't go. Rather than giving Hunter Johnson another spin, they just moved down the depth chart and grab the next transfer, give Ryan Halinski a shot. And again, very, very little explosiveness in the past game here, but having not watched much of this game, I would conclude that it's probably by design. I think they ran about... You know, ran it twice for every time they passed it, something like that ratio. So, to be expected,
0: that's not going to be a hugely explosive offense. So, speaking of hugely explosive offenses, uh, Purdue 13, Illinois 9. We said um, explosive. We didn't say beneficial. We didn't say like productively explosive. Plenty of explosions can happen that don't lead to anything going anywhere. Yeah. So, really, this was a good job kind of by. By the Purdue coaching staff to prove that they can win ugly, you know? They true. haven't generally won yeah. these kind of grind it out and fuck up less than your opponent in a low-scoring game type of games before. True.
1: There is one missing element that would have been a big feather in Brahms' cap here, which would have been if this had been a bad weather game and they had held Absolutely. on to it. Um, you certainly, that would have been even better. But yes, it is true that Purdue does not have a great track record of winning, especially like... Games this low scoring are rare altogether in the Big Ten, but...
0: Are they? Are they really?
1: Well, yeah, relative to the total number yeah, of games. Played, actually. Yeah, I would say they are. So, look, from the Illinois perspective...
0: From the Illinois perspective, we don't have to say very much because we can say exactly what we said about last week. Literally exactly the same. The defense did a good job. The You know, we saw the coaches prepare. They limited the big plays, and... Uh, acquitted themselves quite well and put the offense in position to win. But the quarterback is awful. The, uh, the offensive coordinator kind of has no idea what he's doing. Um, we were only able to make more yards because Josh McCray was healthy. That was a great evaluation by our staff uh, and our coach is a coward and an idiot and decided to punt on fourth and short, fourth and a l- and a short two yeah. from the Purdue 36 with, um, you know, with a lead late in the fourth quarter and Purdue immediately went down and scored a touchdown, you know, we're not going to keep stopping them if we keep giving them opportunities like this. So
1: I am tr- So I
0: said early in the game, first touchdown wins, and it did. So I got nothing else to say about well, so, this from the Illinois perspective, other see, than that. You say that you mentioned it early in the game.
1: It wasn't super early in the game. It was early in the points production because it was like 3-3 at halftime. Oh,
0: yeah. Illinois still hasn't scored in the first quarter of any game this year. We've played five games. Um, yeah. This is a really, really good level of commitment to the bit, but... Uh, Brett Bielema, I was a huge opponent of his hire at first, and then he spent the whole offseason winning me and everybody else over, doing all the right things, setting up all these, you know, doing all the things we thought a football coach should do. And then he, it culminated with a win over Nebraska. And since then, he's managed to speed run the honeymoon period to the point where now he's alienated an awful lot of us because he did the exact same cowardly thing that he did, uh, cowardly and anti-statistics thing that he did last week, after preaching about how we need to go win a game and we need confidence and all this stuff, and yeah. he's not showing any of it himself, and then he defended himself further after the game, saying he would do it a uh, hundred more times if given the opportunity. Well, I think that he probably should be coaching uh, for his job next week, because I don't see how we recover ever if we go 1-11 this year, and that's going to be our last opportunity for a win. I'm not going to say anything else about this from an Illinois perspective, because again, said it all last week and he did the exact same thing.
1: Yeah, I'll I'll try to add something of an outsider's perspective in that. If you when you hold your opponent, especially a pretty good offense like Purdue to 13 points on the road, that should be enough to win against anybody.
0: And you got a running back that got 156 carries on 24. 25- or 156 yards on 24 carries, 156 in, his, carries in his first... I wish he'd gotten 156 <laughs> carries. It
1: would be extraordinary even for Burke. He
0: was responsible for well over half of our offense, uh, yet he couldn't be trusted to get a yard and a half in a crucial situation. The funniest thing was that the next time he got the ball on third and one, he was stopped behind the line and dragged the entire Purdue defense about six yards down the field. So, uh, who knows? Um... So all I really have to say is, yeah, it's a great job by Purdue to, to, to do this against a team that is not as talented, but certainly not so talented that they should be 1-4 uh, and four and staring 1-11 in the face if they lose next week. Um, with as many injuries as Purdue had, I mean... Well, both, both teams are pretty banged up, and that is another mm, piece Illinois of Illinois is not as injured as they were before. They got a lot of those guys back.
1: I didn't see Epstein. I didn't Keith. see Chase Brown. I didn't see. Yeah, Jake well, Hansen. you did see
0: a back that fits the offense more. Jake Hansen was out, uh, but eh, Devin Witherspoon was out, but Keith Randolph was back. All of our linemen were back except for Jordan Slaughter. Um, we were much healthier than Purdue. Purdue had a lot of dudes missing. And they lost a couple more guys during the game.
1: I'm I haven't seen an update yet on what Payne Durham's status is. David Bell being a concussion protocol, you would think, hope generally, that he's only gonna miss the one game. Yeah, he was a game time decision. Yeah, so, so they'll have him back next week, which is obviously good for them. I think Horvath is gonna be out a while yet. I'm not sure what King Doru's prospects are for returning soon. Um, Dylan Downing by himself, I don't know
0: if he's gonna be able if he's gonna give you much. But what did we say that Jeff Brom had to do to kind of turn the ship around and save this thing? It got to make a robust defense, right? Got yeah. to improve the defensive coaching. They're three and one. I don't understand why they're not getting a lot more votes for the top twenty five, because their one losses to Notre Dame who's undefeated, and when you look at what they did against Notre Dame versus what other big ten teams have done versus Notre Dame. Well, we'll get we'll get to that in a little <laughs> bit. Um, but really, I mean to to put a little bit of a bow. I'll tell you why they're not ranked, which
1: is that the teams they've beaten so far, um, two of them are UConn and Illinois. So yeah. Purdue's not going to
0: get a whole lot credit for that. The Oregon State win to open season was good, especially because Oregon State. And here's why I say this: Oregon State got more AP votes than Purdue. Why? <laughs> like Purdue didn't have the opportunity to play USC. Yeah, I don't. I don't know, man. But
1: in any case, to put a little bit of a bow on this, the the problem, and then you've really covered this, but I want to make sure that I'm clear on this point. The problem that I would have with the way Bielema's run these last couple weeks, so, when after the UTSA game, I did a little bit of hand-waving on his behalf, because I'm like, oh, you know, it's it's true, he's in a new situation, the roster's not great, there's not zero talent on this roster, but there's not much. You had an opponent that, you, your coaches are still getting to know your players and all that.
0: And but, they've actually, that, that loss has aged kind of well. They went Back and just shocked Memphis.
1: Yeah. But now these last two weeks, you've been in it against teams that are better than you on paper, but within within beating range, and who you had leads over late in the game in Maryland and Purdue, you could easily have won both of these games. But instead, he's coaching like his team is 2010 or 11 Wisconsin, and he's got an incredible defense and a solid running game that can get him yards when he needs it like... He's he's not coaching like he's coaching this team. He's coaching like he's coaching two stops ago. And not knowing what your team needs you to do to like not knowing the buttons you need to push to get your team to win is a problem with a from a coaching perspective that I think is the cardinal sin. You spend all this time around those guys, you've gotta know your personnel well enough to make the right calls. And that's gonna segue us into our next game, which was Rutgers thirteen Michigan. 20 and I'm going to stop actually I will talk about Michigan in a second here but first I want to talk about Rutgers game management in this and I w- <laughs> I'm trying not to be too hot take here I'm trying to keep everything in perspective because I know he took over a very difficult situation and most people were still pleased as punch with the job he's done here I think it needs to be said that if Greg Schiano made better game day decisions he would be 2-0 against Michigan since returning to Rutgers. But because he didn't, because he's still coaching like he's in the NFL, they've blown both of those opportunities to beat Michigan. Let's talk about some things that he did throughout the course of the game. On their first drive, they kicked a 40-yard field goal from fourth and three. On their second drive, they went forward on fourth and short but ran up the gut for no gain, one of the most predictable plays you could have guessed that they would run. Later in the first half, they threw incomplete on 4th and 10 with 22 seconds left in a half, which gave Michigan the ball at like their 44 or 46 or something like that. Michigan was able to get in a field goal position no problem, picked up three points before halftime. Early in the fourth quarter, they're down 10 points. They sell for a field goal, which I can... That's the most defensible of these decisions because they're down two scores. They need a field goal eventually. All right, take it then. But then they get the ball back because, again, after halftime... Michigan wasn't doing anything offensively. Rutgers took control of the game. And then, later in the fourth, they call they have basically a third and goal, but it's like third and ten from the 11 or something. It's third and ten. They call an end zone fade, which Noah Vedrill threw out of bounds because he can't complete that pass. So they're down seven at this point. And then they kicked a field goal, which would not have made any sense if they had made it, which they didn't, because they've got a college kicker. And Greg Sciano is used to those three points being automatic, and they're not in college. You can't rely on a kicker, even for a chip shot like that.
0: He literally just remixed the Ron Zook 2010 Ohio State thing there, where you're down seven and you kick a field goal. Because... That's exactly
1: what I was thinking of. So th- you, you're down seven points. If you kick a field goal, you still need to score a touchdown. You're now giving it to your opponent, and your rationale has to be that, well... If we let them kick a field goal, we're in the same position we are right now, except a lot of time has come off the clock. And we still need a touchdown. It doesn't make any sense at all. It's it's the most nonsensical thing ever, and it it drove me insane because they played they played well enough to win this game. They the out- played in Michigan three fifty two to
0: two seventy five. Uh, notably they limited Michigan to hundred and twelve yards on the ground.
1: Which brings us to Michigan. And we've heard a lot well, I wouldn't say a lot, but we've heard a fair amount of chest-thumping from the Michigan fan base and certain fans in the media saying, well, why would they ever throw the ball when they can just run for eight yards a clip, bro? Nobody can stop our run game. Well, actually, Rutgers stopped your run game. So how are you feeling about going to Madison next week? And you still don't know if you can throw the ball.
0: Well, I mean, and, and, and to be fair, like, I know there were people that, that, that understood that it, it might not actually be because they didn't think they need to. It's just, well, we, we talked about this, that, Nobody really knows but Michigan whether or not they can, and uh, they didn't have a whole hell of a lot of success doing that, but they did enough to win the game, but... Sure. Just <laughs> but, barely. But, but again,
1: not because of... I don't think they did enough to win the game because of what they did, but because Rutgers just refused to take this game from Yes, them. but
0: when you're Iowa, is that not exactly what you're trying to do? I suppose. Michigan's have, def- have we just <laughs> Michigan's not- defense is not
1: Iowa's defense,
0: though. <laughs> but like ultimately, isn't that where we've landed that Michigan is Iowa now? This is exactly what Iowa would do, is it not? Um Yeah, I suppose it probably is. And I give credit to Chiano not for anything that he did in the game, but for in such a short time assembling a team that could go and get you know, frustrated by Iowa like that.
1: On the road, no less. Yeah. You know, this game's in the big house, and Rutgers had them, man. You had him, and you let him off the hook.
0: Now, if you want to crown them, then crown their ass. But they are who you thought they were.
1: Yeah. All right, a couple more games where there's not a whole lot to talk about. Kent State, 16. Weird total. Maryland, 37. It took the Terps a little bit of time to pull away, but there, I don't think this game ever really felt like it was in doubt. Kent State, despite their record, is a really good team. That's probably going to be a win that ages well for Maryland and Iowa, um, as well as Texas A&M, frankly. I still like Tungle-Vailoa as a dark horse for the silver football. Maybe it's less of a dark horse now because we're you know third of the way into the season. And that's especially true potentially given the context of the next game we're talking about, which is Akron 7, Ohio State 59. Kyle McCord was fine. Um, you you had the somewhat amusing situation where both teams punted on their first possession and then Akron actually scored their touchdown first. And so there was a period, you know, not immediately after the start of the game, a decent depth into the first quarter where Ohio State's traveling at home and you've got a freshman quarterback starting and, oh, dear, what are we going to – oh, yeah, uh, Trayvon Henderson and Garrett Wilson and Chris Lavi. Okay, we're fine. We're good. Um, the most interesting thing that happened in this game, aside from McCord looking okay, uh, a guy quit in the middle of the game. Uh, Kayvon Pope had evidently had enough after being called off from going in. A so he
0: tried to, he tried to go in the game and was waved off. So then he stormed off from the sideline, tossed his gloves and jersey and his closet, just gloves into the stand, threw his jersey off, and left the field, and then got out his phone and tweeted, fuck Ohio State with two C's because that's what the Crips do. And all that that
1: implies. So he was then dismissed today, Sunday, as we record this. Uh, I thought very powerfully of the take this job and shove it kind of line because that was very much the vibe I got from that. And it, my initial reaction was, man, that guy, you know, he made one, had one rash decision and now it's probably impacted his career. And then I was thinking about it and I'm like, well, wait, though, how many teams even just in the Big Ten are going to want a linebacker who was good enough to play at Ohio State who hates Ohio State? Yeah. Like, you mean to tell me Mike Loxley, Jim Harbaugh, Greg Shiano shouldn't be calling this guy up? I don't know if he's any
0: good or not, but
1: yeah, I mean, maybe, give, maybe give a look. Maybe look, man, if him. your
0: entire program is built on fuck Ohio State, then... Mark Antonio
1: made a career out of that.
0: Yeah, if that's your entire program's ethos then surely you want the guy who lost his gig at Ohio State by saying, fuck Ohio State, Look, Michigan, do you
1: want to win or not? Go get this guy. It's not like your linebacker depth is all that great right now anyway. So, yeah, on the field, nothing of any drama. Now we are going to get to our dramatic games of the week now. Well, two dramatic games and one not so much. We'll start with the latest game of the week, Indiana 33, Western Kentucky 31. Boy, This was a thrilling game, at least the parts of it that I watched. I caught most of the fourth quarter after MSU and Nebraska wrapped up. Um, Some signs of a return to form for Michael Penix, at least late. He made a few good throws to get what turned out to be the clinching touchdown. I know Fry Fogle still had a little bit of a drop issue early, but down the stretch he had a couple of big catches. They need him to get back to his old self. I met up
0: with our new Indiana contributor, uh, Buff Komodo. We watched some of this game. You know, and talked about how, how you know, nobody, uh, you know, all of our history of being asked, why would you possibly emotionally invest yourself into something so deeply into something so hopeless and, you know, why nobody will ever understand? And, uh, <laughs> you know, all the while uh, saying things such as like, uh, you know, that you think Stephen Carr is maybe the best running back that's ever uh, played for Indiana. Did you see? He made one a hell of a juke. On the sidelines, he had
1: a good game. I will not stand for this Tevin Coleman erasure, but we'll see. I mean, guys, he's only a few games into his Indiana career. He's got the talent to be the best guy they've ever had. But whoa, now my man Tevin is still playing in the NFL. I mean, playing for the Jets. So what kind of life is that? But um, I'm going to continue my theme of this week, which is uh, coach theory, and you know, thinking that I could be better at this, which I know I wouldn't, but. Western Kentucky coach Tyson Helton. That's a name that we know, isn't it? Maybe yes, it is. he is of relation to the USC coach who got fired two games into the season. He opted to punt from right around midfield early in the fourth quarter, and I think like a fourth and two or a fourth and three. At that point, he's down two points against a Big Ten team at home. Indiana promptly drives the length of the field, scores a touchdown, and then Western Kentucky is able to drive and score themselves. Now they're down two scores again with about 3 minutes to go and they don't onside it. Instead, they kick it deep and their kickoff specialist kicks it out of bounds. So, <laughs> uh Oof. that
0: I mean, you know what I would like is if the surrender index bot that was made uh, as a companion to the uh The uh, John Boyce piece, Search for the Saddest Punt in the History of the NFL, (laughs) right? It tracks, you know, how cowardly every NFL punt is. I'd love if its coverage could be expanded to college because I bet you could find some really good ones in college. And it's Especially for as long as our dude stays at Illinois.
1: It's so strange, too, because Western Kentucky was clearly good enough to win this game. They're at home. They had a near-capacity crowd. It's a small stadium, but still, a raucous crowd. They've got the quarterback to do it. They have playmakers. I'm very much not looking forward to seeing Bailey Zappi go against MSU's past coverage, but we'll get to that. What is
0: it about how many teams have played multiple Big Ten teams this year? I know it happens yeah. a lot, but it seems this year it's... I don't, I don't, I don't think, think it happens this year. much. This is definitely an yeah. outlier as far as that goes. Um,
1: and speaking of Michigan State, then, we'll get to uh, that game. particularly
0: though, I'm, I am, like, I'm satisfied that Indiana was able to win a game that mattered, Yeah. right, if I'm Indiana? Yeah. They were able to win a game that mattered. It wasn't the prettiest. They didn't cover, but damn it, you know, when it came down to it in a clutch situation, they were not the ones that flinched. They got 35 first downs. Uh, now, not against the most stout of defenses, but uh, it's the kind of thing that may give you some confidence that you can go against somebody that matters. because. When your when your data points are two very good teams and one tomato can, yeah, you know how do you feel about yourself? I don't really know the psychology of how you're feeling now, but it's certainly got to be a bit of a confidence builder. Even you know, even as a close game against a team of Western Kentucky's you, caliber, you need to see Michael Penix get back to his old self. He did
1: not have a very good start to this season, so now your hope is that he puts it behind him and you're able because again, the defense is still very good. Their kicking game was on point. Um, Campbell was 5-for-5, hit hit all his extra points, won them the game, really, with how good he was. And this offense is not going to work if the quarterback isn't above average to great. They have decent playmakers, but the line is not going to win the game for you. So they needed Penix to get back to being his old self, and he really did look like his old self in this game. So... The other late-night thriller, Michigan State 23, Nebraska 20 in overtime. Um, I've seen this game before, except Michigan State is usually on the losing end of it. And in the first half, it had every indication of, man, this is going to be another one of these what-the-actual-hell games that Nebraska manages to pull out in some crazy thing, probably involving the refs. I didn't say that, but I was thinking it with every fiber of my being, starting from around mid-second quarter. There was a stretch where it looked like Michigan State was going to take control of this game. But they left a lot of points on the field in the first half. They settled for two short field goals. They missed another field goal by dwarfing the snap. And so they left 11 points on the field in the first half. And I was like, you shouldn't have done it. You shouldn't have done it because Nebraska's got these BS plays that they just pull out of their ass. There's no defending them. They just happen. And sure, they misfire occasionally. But you don't want to be in a one-score game with a guy who can turn a dead-to-right sack into a 50-yard touchdown run. And that's what Adrian Martinez is. That being said, despite the fact that Nebraska and their halftime adjustments absolutely blanked Michigan State. I mean, they had five total yards of offense in the third and fourth quarters. I'm not—that's it. Five. They ran something like eight plays in the third quarter and their defense held on and Nebraska made just enough mistakes cuz again in the first half Nebraska couldn't get out of their own way with penalties but then the second half they had a couple turnovers they settled for field goal and even though Nebraska completely dominated the second half they only put 10 points on the board and so Michigan State only needed the one touchdown to get back in it themselves and then as Scott Frost clearly explained, it was all the punter's fault for punting at the wrong direction. The side of the field where Nebraska didn't have any coverage, and then Michigan State got their first punt return touchdown in 10 years, which is incredible, given that most of that time they were good. Um, but Jaden Reed saved their bacon with that punt return touchdown. Nebraska very much went into a shell after that. You could just sneeze and we can add the sound out. <laughs>
0: Absolutely not. <laughs> That's the, that right there is discipline, ladies and gentlemen. It's quality control. It's quality control. Now there's a guy whose title is special teams quality control coach for Nebraska. His name is Zach Crespo, and uh, you know I actually do a fair amount of quality control type of work. I, I'm I'm I moonlight as the uh, warranty analyst right in the auto industry, so I'm, I'm familiar. With a lot of quality control processes. And I wonder if he's gonna submit an 8D. I wonder if we're going to go through like this three leg, five Y type of. Set. I wonder if we're going to bring in any Six Sigma black belts to execute some kind of a quality control process. I wonder what kind of advanced problem solving tools we're going to use to solve the quality control problems on the assembly line that is Nebraska special teams.
1: What year are we in for Scott Frost now? Four. And he doesn't have a special teams coach. He has a quality control assistant. Who to also be fair, has some special his special teams,
0: teams coach is better than Maryland's at coaching special teams. Well, nobody is better.
1: Low bar is low. Yeah. And again, this is a game they've—they've they've got a good enough defense to win on the road against a
0: team that I still think is pretty good, in Michigan State. This um, is a game where they gained 26 first downs to Michigan State's 12. Yeah, They held Michigan State to 1 for 11 on third down. Mm-hmm. Uh, Outgained them 442 to 254. And they lost in overtime. They only turned the ball over one more time than did Michigan State.
1: Yeah. But again, it's, it's all about the timing of the big mistake with Scott Frost, Nebraska. And that's what's come to define his tenure. Down to down, they're Generally, pretty good. This offense is tough to control for an entire game. They were look. They had Michigan State on the ropes late, but they couldn't land a knockout punch because the mistakes kept happening. I don't know what you do big picture here again. Like, even they're two and three, and they've left a couple games on the table. They certainly could have
0: won. They could be five and zero. Yeah. They could easily be five and zero. They're and abs- probably ranked in the top. No, they'd easily be ranked in the top ten. They. would They'd probably like wins over Oklahoma. they probably Michigan be State. like yeah. they probably be number five or four right now, yeah. if they beaten if they had these games that they should have had dead to rights, such as Michigan State, Oklahoma, and you know similar type of team. Illinois, Illinois. Right. <laughs>
1: right. right up there with the other two that you mentioned.
0: i so. tell you what, I am one Charlotte loss away from being mad at Nebraska for losing to Illinois. <laughs> I'll join everybody else and be mad at Nebraska Because then, then you could have John embry Belama.
1: Yeah. So, all that said, I understand that it's certainly not, it's going to be a long week for Scott Frost. I understand that. But... I still think they're closer to being good than they are to actually being this bad. I, I still, think I they're think,
0: I think this is the best team that he's had.
1: I still think they're going to win by a eight pretty games. good margin. I can still see them winning eight games. It's not going to be. They have to be better at these things that they're still bad at. But they have the said, talent, they have a talented damn near on the table. That being said,
0: they're not going. Is Iowa but going
1: to lose two Big Ten games? <laughs> they're not going to lose to this Nebraska team. Like, Are you kidding me? Yeah, I mean, that's no. that's the thing. Not playing Could the way Nebraska win Nebraska's the, the Big Ten West? Way. Maybe, but they need a lot of help. Well, no, they have the talent to beat everybody. Whether they win the West, yes, is not in their hands because of the standings, but there's no team left on their, on their schedule that they can't beat, but there's also no team left on their schedule they can't lose to because of the way they make these colossal mistakes, and that's all got to come down to the head coach. That's a culture thing. And we do, you know, the Nebraska folks and I discussed this briefly after the game on the Slack, I just wonder if maybe there's this pressure in the air in Lincoln to bring Nebraska back. And if that's what, if in those big moments, it's subconsciously in the back of the players' and the coaches' minds, that's what causes them to make these mistakes. Like,
0: we didn't do it, and now we're even farther away, so now we so have now to try pressure, even yeah.
1: harder next time. And it's just a vicious cycle that builds and builds. I Again, I don't think you can know that without being in the football building, but... I can certainly believe it. I mean, there's still there's still these fans who think they should win every game, who think they should fire a coach who doesn't win a national title. Yep. Uh, I think there's something to that. I don't know what the solution is. I think Nebraska probably still finds their way to seven, maybe eight
0: wins, but... But I mean, also, how Scott Frost is this, they got oh, yeah. three <laughs> losses by one score, and of those, the one that they had the least right to win was against Illinois, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and you know,
1: the all the other thing, and the reason why you're, what I've said here tonight is the strongest defense you're going to get out of me for Scott Frost, is he throws the players under the bus again. He's once again, he's,
0: he's again basically saying, look, I'm calling good plays, man. I don't know why they can't get it right. And there's ways that you can word this, right? Where you say like, and we just had the kind of mistakes that we can't afford to have in these situations, and that's... You know, we're going to look at what we can do to improve that as coaches. You don't say, punter kicked it the wrong way. We've got guys that are at Nebraska specifically for the purpose of punting the ball. I mean, come on, man. How the hell do you not just kick the ball? Just, just do the right thing, you you, you, you fucking asshole. Like, come on. What, what the fuck are you doing? No, I mean, there's ways you can word that, you know? Yeah, and people... And, and, Where you can basically say the same thing. You can say the same thing, you can even vent some frustration, but it still sounds like you take it upon yourself. Like then, again, we had the kind of mistakes that we just can't afford to be having, we had we had players make mistakes in crucial moments that we as coaches have to find a way to figure He, he instead said, we as coaches can't figure out a way to make these things stop happening. That's not a thing you can say. Yeah, you just you, can't
1: say that. You as the millionaire face of the program your job in that position is to take the fire for your still unpaid college athletes
0: and you know this would stop being a problem if he would just win one of these goddamn games like one of these games where 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 they have every right to win and then they don't yeah you, you have any idea how much of this this secondary criticism of what he says in the postgame presser would go away if they just converted one of these opportunities yeah So, again, I think it's a thing where the pressure just has to keep building. And how much, if that is the case, god damn, how much is there now?
1: Yeah, and I believe, I think I've got this right, that Scott Frost now moves to 0-9 versus ranked teams with Nebraska. Given how his defense just dominated the entire second half, his offense was grinding Michigan State to powder, and they still couldn't convert this into a win. I don't know when they get that win if this wasn't it. Not, I mean, his well,
0: record has now matched that of Tim Brewster through the same number of games. Yeah, just think about that. That honestly, and yet, been... and yet, he's so close, right? Oh he's yeah, so close. To yeah, despite team.
1: despite that reality, this does not feel anything like Tim Brewster of Minnesota did. Like, there's no reason they can't be better. But anyway, we gotta move this along and wrap this up. So the big nude game of the week, I believe it was on Fox at least. Um, Notre Dame 41, Wisconsin 13.
0: This game was closer than that final margin, just Wisconsin was really hell-bent on making sure it got out of hand. I was going to say,
1: it was close until the game fell on Graham Mertz's shoulders. Has anybody gone full 180 away from the hype they initially had faster and more dramatically than Graham Mertz that you can think of in recent memory?
0: I mean, this is like some Tate Forcier shit. Not really, I mean... I mean, because, I mean, you know, Joe Milton was just the regular level of Michigan quarterback hype. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so,
1: again, as we said, this game was closer than it looked for most of it. It was 10-7 at the half. Wisconsin took the lead in the third quarter. And the dam broke late. Not, again, not because Wisconsin's defense collapsed, but because they Wisconsin's gave up... Wisconsin's
0: defense could no longer prop up Graham Mertz. Yeah,
1: well, they gave up a kickoff return, which... I don't know. I don't know. It's different to different teams. Some teams play a lot of their stars on special teams. Some teams don't.
0: I don't know what Wisconsin does. Well, they, they, they did that, in fact, after. And here's the crazy thing. 41-13. At the start of the fourth quarter, Wisconsin took a 13-10 lead.
1: Yeah. Yeah, like I said, they were leading late in this game. And then Notre Dame goes 31 nothing unanswered in the fourth. Because, again, kickoff return, two pick sixes. Uh, Mertz turns it over five total times. He had a second fumble that Wisconsin recovered. The guy is is the wor- he's you know what he's approaching. This guy's Art Sikowski levels of turnover machine.
0: I mean, uh, no, he's Rutgers Art Sitkowski levels of turnover machine. Of my, Illinois okay, Art Sitkowski okay, okay, hasn't I hasn't thrown a single pick. I beg your pardon. He's <laughs> yeah, He's he's worse than Art's. He's approaching the level that Art Sitkowski was. He's sunk below the level that Art Sitkowski currently is.
1: But this is getting to you know pick your team with the non-functional offense, with the defense doing its damnedest, because Notre Dame, and again, this is not sack adjusted, but they ran for three yards on thirty-two carries. If you t- once you have the sacks in there, they didn't have much explosiveness in the passing game either. You know, much was made of Jack Cohn in the revenge tour. He completed less than half of his passes for barely 150 yards. They and got, he also, they
0: got he also yeah, he left the game, and they were down to their third-string quarterback. Um, and at that point, you know, at that point, oddly enough, Notre Dame started to take control of the game. They didn't take control. Wisconsin gave them control. Yeah. Uh, Drew Pine came into the game and uh, did just enough. And now, you know what Notre Dame has on its hands if Jack Cohn is healthy? They've got a genuine Pine Cone controversy at quarterback. <laughs> So, interesting situation for Wisconsin
1: because, again, Mertz is very clearly not getting it done, but the limited sample you've seen from Chase Wolf doesn't exactly inspire confidence in him. What are you going to start your backup or your third stringer with Michigan coming to town next week? And granted, they narrowly escaped Rutgers, but they still look a hell of a lot better than you. I don't know what the solution is there, but...
0: I mean, the thing is, Michigan... You know, you could say that Wisconsin's, whatever Wisconsin's ceiling might be could be higher than Michigan's because Wisconsin theoretically possesses the ability to pass. But Michigan has certainly not shown any of the self-destructive tendencies that Wisconsin has. Right. You expect Michigan's floor to be way higher than Wisconsin's. I think that their ceiling is also higher than Wisconsin at this point. But for sure, they're the less volatile team with the higher floor. So at this point... um, Looks like a reversal of fortunes is coming, given the way that Wisconsin's torn down Michigan in the last few meetings. Uh, Boy, it sure looks like a bit of a reckoning is in. I want to wrap this up by just asking this. Are there any good teams in the Big Ten? Penn State, I think, is pretty good. Penn State's good. I think Iowa's mostly good. Iowa's good, but has very glaring weaknesses that are almost by design. We'll see what Michigan State looks like. Um, I don't know... (laughs) I don't think they're
1: as good as they were at Miami. I don't think they're as bad as they were against Nebraska. So we'll see what the, the water is going to find its level with their offense sooner or later, and we'll see what they
0: actually are. I think they could be pretty good. Um, I mean, Nebraska yeah, I think, is and in I've, theory good. And I think Maryland, but they're good. two and three. And I think Maryland is good. Um, yeah, they're still. I mean,
1: they're still going to lock their way to eight and four, but I, I, they're plenty talented. Yeah, I think there's a handful of good interesting teams. 10.
0: Now, I have another question. Are there any good quarterbacks in the Big Ten? Clifford's okay. Yep, and that about does it. Your source for Big Ten Talk: It's Off Tackle Empire!